2: Thank you very much. Wow, we have a... (laughs) Did you get a shot of this going on? Look at this, Uh, there's actual people. There's people, people, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I have people, okay, people. People, a live audience. Are we making history? Are we the first ones to do this, we're doing it? We're doing it very safely here. Everybody has been tested, socially distanced, and compensated for their time. <laughs> like like the women at the bar at Nobu. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. You can hear people laugh individually at this. At time. Oh, I see. That guy liked that joke. Flat <laughs> lady didn't. That's an interesting experiment. Anyway, I'm so thankful you're here. Uh, I'd say you're very brave, but there's, like, no fucking chance you could get it. Look look at you. You're a million-mile... I mean... You've been tested. You're masked. You're spread way apart. What we in the business call ideal for comedy. But at least... Hey, there's people. There's people. And, boy, I picked a good... Good week (laughs) to get back to the studio with people because the forecast on my phone today... I'm not joking. It said, smoke. (laughs) Tomorrow's forecast, Blade Runner. (laughs) The... Are you from Los Angeles? You're all local, right? Of course. Okay. all right. Well, I mean, Jesus Christ, the air in Los Angeles, it was like a cross between Shanghai and my dressing room. (laughs) I'm saying there was a lot of. I'm, I mean, I'm. If I'm sniffly, it's because, yeah, it's good shit out there. I, I, went to, I went for a checkup yesterday to my doctor. He grabbed my balls and said, <laughs> Turn your head and stop coughing. Seriously, <laughs> <where> you're coughing. <laughs> it's, it's like fucking Mars out there. Today, Elon Musk looked out the window and said, Finally, I'm home. <laughs> Elon Musk, you know, okay. No, there is so much smoke in Oregon right now, uh, you can barely see the tear gas from the riots. <laughs> it's crazy out there. The ash is falling. You've seen this? It's like it's snowing ash. It's, it's like the 80s all over again. My nose is running, and there's white powder in my car. <laughs> I'm <you>. And... <clears throat> This pissed me off. I'm sure it did you too, right? One of the fires, you saw this, was because somebody, parents were having a gender reveal party <laughs> in the park, and the parents set off a smoke bomb that we would see if it would turn pink if it was a girl and blue if it was a boy, proving once again something I've always said the wrong people are reproducing. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you might not even have electricity. We have rolling blackouts out here. Right. You know, in, in L.A., in California. I mean, it, it's... yesterday, Nancy Pelosi had to get her hair done by candlelight. I... I <laughs> and and uh, President Trump has been monitoring the fires very closely. He said his heart goes out to the insurance companies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's full of empathy, this guy. I tell you, it was, it's, not, it's 9-11 anniversary today. Uh, yeah, and uh, Trump said he will never forget the moment uh, when he learned that he had the tallest building in Manhattan. <laughs> Trump said that, I, you know, because he's an asshole, you see? There you go. There you go. There you go. Sometimes you have to think twice on the thing. It's like, you know, the, the modern audiences don't get that fucking thing. <laughs> But uh, I tell you, 2001, were you even alive, some of you people, for that? Or you were kids? I tell you, it's such a different time. I mean, back then, Trump was a punchline with no interest in governing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> maybe it might be a high that much. No, I mean, 19 years, everything is just so different. I mean, back then, if you ate on the sidewalk, you were either homeless or French. <laughs> <laughs> And if you stayed six feet away from someone, it's because they smelled like Axe body spray. That's, you know. Now it's because the virus, you see. But, uh, yeah, the virus is apparently not going away. Uh, Dr. Fauci said we're going to have to hunker down uh, because the fall is coming and it could get even worse. And uh, L.A. County took him to heart. Boy, today they announced, L.A. County did, canceled Halloween. They have kept, ca- right? No trick or treating, no party shit. I had a great costume this year. Slutty Dr. Deborah Burks. Jesus. <laughs> no, I don't get to wear it now. Fuck. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Dr. Fauci is in Bob Woodward's new book. He's got a new book about Trump called Rage. And apparently, Dr. Fauci said Trump's attention span is, quote, like a minus number. <laughs> And when Trump heard that, he was furious. For about a second. <laughs> and then somebody rattled a bag of Cheetos and he forgot all about it. But uh, yeah, Trump yesterday held one of his super spreader rallies. <laughs> He's the president. He has super spreader rallies there in Michigan. And he compared his handling of the virus to FDR. <laughs> the only thing he has in common with FDR is they both had difficulty walking. <laughs> All right, we've got a great show! Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and doing this. We're back. Peter Hamby and Jessica Yellen are here in person. We have real people here, too, actual people. And a little later, we'll be speaking with the very talented Ewan McGregor. Ah, Ewan McGregor's here. Well, we've got a big movie star on the show. But first up, he is the former FBI deputy assistant director of counterintelligence, my old job, and author of the new book... <laughs> Compromise, Counterintelligence and the Threat of Donald J. Trump. Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok. Thank you so much. OK. Peter, are you there on my Zoom? I am, Bill. It's great to be here. Great, great to have you. Thank so you. you. Let's, me. let's uh, hope the Zoom holds up. Sometimes it doesn't. The first thing I want to ask you is, uh, you know, you're a G-man your whole life. And they're known to be apolitical... Does it amuse you? Does it infuriate you? <laughs> what does it do to you that it used to be only a few years ago that it was the, the liberals who were suspicious of law enforcement, and now that's completely switched? <laughs> you're the good guy with the liberals, and it's the Republicans who, who, are, uh, who think you're the bad guy. What, what does that do to you?
1: No, it's crazy, and it's hard to imagine how fast that happened, and it makes you wonder how long it's going to last. And some of that, you can expand from that. You know, the people cozying up with the Russians are not the pinko-communist liberals anymore. You've got it turned upside down. So the question is, in this topsy-turvy world, how long is it going to take back to revert? And whether or not that happens at all or in some bizarre new world of domestic political alliances and beliefs. Right. Well, listen, um, obviously Trump put
2: you in a completely impossible position, yeah, when I say you, you guys in the FBI, you certainly were high up there at the time, because he, he was outrageous in his behaviour. He was saying things publicly, like, Russia, if you're listening, you know, hack... E-. It, it was ridiculous. You had to look into him. Uh, that's my view. That, you know, this crossfire hurricane, which was the... Uh, looking into whether Trump was a mentor, you had to do it. But it's interesting that once it was done, you know, we have to be open-minded here, it seems to me... Your view was that there was not something that happened there. You said in a private text, so we know it was real. You said, my gut sense and concern is that there's no big there there. Uh, You said, we have not seen... uh, The New York Times had a big story in 2017, right after Trump was inaugurated. Trump campaign aides had reported contacts with Russian intelligence, was the headline. And you said, we have not seen evidence of any of that. He said, We are unaware of any Trump advisors engaging in conversations with Russian intelligence officials. That confuses me. Uh, the Don Jr. Yeah, meeting. I can understand. Uh, the, the Manafort, we found out, was, was giving polling data to this Konstantin Kalemko, who has been called a Russian agent. Why did you say there was no there, there?
1: Um, Well, so you have to read that last document like a legal document. We were trying to figure out, when that New York Times article came out, who the hell was talking to The Times, because they got a lot of things wrong. But some of the things were accurate. And so we were trying to figure out, okay, who were those sources? And when you see, when I say no intelligence officers, you got to think about that like a counterintelligence person. You know, I spent 20 years chasing spies and recruiting people. And when I say that, I'm talking about, like, a full-fledged foreign intelligence officer not somebody who might be working with them. And that's the kind of person we saw all over the Trump campaign. We had him in contact with a foreign policy advisor. We had him in contact with the incoming attorney general. We had him in contact with the incoming national security advisor. And person after person after person in the Trump campaign had these undisclosed contacts with the Russians that they started and continued not telling the truth about. So when I sit there and look at it, The worst thing could be it's some big conspiracy, kind of run from the top by the president. But it doesn't have to be that to be really bad. It's kind of like if you walk outside and the entire block has, every car has its window knocked out. You could say, well, you know, we don't think one person did this. Well, every window is still knocked out. It's still bad. And so when I looked at that, when I made that comment, I was simply saying, I don't think Trump is sitting like a mastermind on top of all these contacts, controlling and coordinating what's going on. What I thought was, There are a bunch of grifters, opportunists, people trying to make money, all sort of individually pursuing their agendas in a way that made them vulnerable to the Russian intelligence. I think you're right. He's definitely not a mastermind.
2: (laughs) No, really. No, honestly. I mean... Finally, it sounds like a full crowd. (laughs) No, I mean, but I I constantly think people give him too much credit for that, and I think you're right. It wasn't like that. I think it's just the way you described it. In fact, uh, Dan Coats, who was the director of national intelligence for a while, he said he thinks Putin has something on Trump. Well, that may be true, but I think what he has on Trump is the knowledge that Trump is a giant narcissist, or at least that's what I have on Trump. I, I don't think you need to have something on Trump. I learned this a couple of weeks ago when QAnon, you know, the, the total nutcases who think that the world is run by this secret cabal of, of uh, the pizza-eating pedophiles <laughs> who eat babies, you know, I mean, they're really out there. And, and Trump, when he was asked about him, yeah, I, I think they're good people and I, I take their support. Whoever says they like him, he likes them. If it's white supremacists and they say they like him, he likes them. If it's Vladimir Putin and he says, I think Trump is brilliant, Trump is like, I love this guy. (laughs) I don't think it's much more complicated than that, right? It's
1: about the narcissism. I think that's one thing. Look, if you're you're trying to deal with somebody, that might be enough, but put yourself in the shoes of the SVR or any Russian intelligence service. Just because something works, you're not going to stop with that. So, sure, Putin, he's got a team of psychologists who have looked at Trump. They probably know him better than most Americans do, and they know how to push his buttons and play him. But that's not going to stop them from finding other things to hold his leverage over. Some of that's coming out in the public, like we had through the Mueller report, the example of Trump is on the campaign trail in 2016, and he tells a crowd, I think, down in North Carolina, I have no financial dealings in Russia whatsoever, none. At the exact same instant, Michael Cohen and others are trying to get a deal at Trump Tower in Moscow. Well, Trump knows he just didn't tell the truth. He knows he lied. Putin knows he lied. And so to maintain that, because if Putin turns around and says, hey, look, I'm going to tell the truth, and you're, every one of your campaign or the people at that rally are going to know you lied, that gives him leverage. So if you're an intelligence service, you don't stop just because you have one avenue in. You keep looking for all these different ways to impact somebody's behavior.
2: Right. Hmm. All right, listen, I've heard you say there are things right now I and others know from 2016 that would damage his candidacy today. What are they? (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: so next week... (laughs) Next week, I want you to get the Attorney General and the Director of National Intelligence on your show and ask them that. And when they say, well, we're not going to say, ask them why they have declassified so much information, which shockingly all seems to support the line and Trump that they're putting forward. I can't tell you because it's classified or it relates to ongoing investigations or maybe even some stuff panned out, didn't mean anything. But that question is something that ought to be asked of the administration, particularly given the way that they're just releasing things willy nilly that are really, really damaging our national security when they do it.
2: So you're you're out of the and FBI, and I know
1: you'd love to have Bill Barr on your show.
2: Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> have you ever seen this show? <laughs> so, so, so you're out of the FBI now, right? Yes. Can you can you still I, talk to the old gang?
1: Uh, I do, I do.
2: And this is what they're telling you now, but you can't tell me.
1: No, look, I mean, I can't. You know, in terms of what. Those things. So, A, the stuff that's gone on after I left, they don't talk about because that I don't have the need to know that. And like the bureau is really, really good at keeping secrets. I mean, things that shouldn't be talked about don't get talked about outside. So, again, that goes into the whole area of like, you know, I'm going to maintain my security, the things I <clears throat> obligated not to disclose because of my clearance. And they do the same thing with me. So now nah, I can't. I'm not, okay. I'm not sure what happened after I
2: left. All right. I want to ask you one last question about Hillary. Somebody said to you during the camp... Because it's, it's always interesting to me that, you know, the FBI goes back and forth now between... Are they the champion of the Liberals? Or are they a champion of the Conservatives? When really, I mean, it was the FBI and Comey who kind of tipped the election to Donald Trump. Which is weird, because I heard during the campaign, I was worried that Trump's going to win, and then the FBI, which they were calling Trumplandia. And I think of law enforcement as pretty Republican to begin with. I thought, oh, as soon as this guy wins, I'm in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> really, I thought Giuliani was st- going to be no, head you of the still FBI. What's huh? you that?
1: You still have time.
2: Thanks, Pete. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but who was it who said to you about Hillary, Pete? You've got to get that bitch.
1: So that was somebody who had retired at the time. And look, your your assessment is absolutely <laughs> accurate. Yeah, the bureau is a conservative place. I was born and raised a Republican. Most agents are law and order, strong national defense-type people. Right. But having said that, I- I'm telling you, day in, day out for 20 years, I never saw an instance where somebody said, hey, we, gotta, we have to do this investigative thing, either ignore this fact or make this up or leave that out of the write-up. Just didn't happen. That's not the way the FBI works. So, Every FBI yeah. agent has an opinion, a personal opinion, but it doesn't
2: truly—it doesn't hit the wall. Uh, you know what? You don't have to convince me. I have o- no, no. Seriously, I, I mean, I'm known as a liberal, but I've always been a fan of the people who defend our country. I like squares, <laughs> and I mean that in the best way. It's the anniversary of 9/11, so I'm sure you were involved in that, and I thank you for your service and thank you for everything. Okay, Peter Strzok. <laughs> thank you. Barry. All right, let's meet our panel in person. people. We are actual people. (laughs) I'm (laughs) compelling. All right, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica Yellen, where she's the founder of News Not Noise. From far away, Jessica Yellen, but closer than (laughs) I've had in a long time.
0: Great to see you from a distance.
2: Yes, and he's the host of Snapchat's political show, Good Luck America, and contributing writer for Vanity Fair... Closer to me than other guests have been... Peter Hamby is... <laughs> Sorry about that. There, that's fine. That's fine. OK, I want to follow up on something we were talking about there. I was going to talk to uh, Peter about this, but I'll ask you about this. Um, I think they're playing by two different rules, because uh, when George Stephanopoulos asked Trump... and uh, When was that, about a year ago? He, it was in the Oval Office, I remember, and he was like, if, if you got information from a foreign government, would you use it? No, no other president would have ever have said, yeah, sure. And Trump said, yeah, I'd look at it. <laughs> the rules have changed. The Ukraine impeachment went nowhere. It, it's like when they put the designated to hitter rule in baseball. They changed the rules. Nobody did anything about Ukraine. Nobody said anything after he told that to Stephanopoulos. Foreign help is now OK in elections. If Democrats don't get that, the deck is already stacked up against them, they're going to keep losing elections. True?
3: Maybe, but maybe not this election. I do think this election is probably a little more baked than people are willing to acknowledge. Baked? Yeah. I think... think Baked? Baked in favor of Biden. Oh, not that kind of baked. Set. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Meaning? Done. 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 Closer to done. I think the fundamentals of this election strongly favor Joe Biden and a lot of people, regardless of interference in the election... Well... I, to say I will say, to your point, I was talking to a friend today about these very things, that Trump just continues to push the boundaries, and he said he reminds me of a little kid testing his parents to see what he can get away with. I mean he, he's finding he can get away with pretty much anything. Right. And what's scary about that is, imagine if you have someone with a brain larger than Donald Trump's who comes into office later, right? They're going to understand they can get away with whatever they want. And that, yeah, he's, you're not. right. He's
2: kind of an innocent. And he didn't understand that you can't take uh, help from a foreign country, because we never did that. But that's what you would do in business. So he just did it. And nobody stopped him. And I'm telling you, now that's the rule. And if you don't get that, you're just going to be a loser.
0: I actually think it'll change when you have a different kind of personality in that office. The media and the public will adjust to their behavior. I think Trump gets away with this because he is so shameless about it, because he is uh, unconflicted. But isn't
2: he the Republican Party now?
0: He is... The loyalty is to him, not to the party. I do think... So they're going to
2: revert? The Republican Party is going to revert back to...
0: No, let's see what happens in this election. Let's see how much loss they suffer. um,
2: Okay, so it's seven weeks from the election. Uh, I want to talk about what Nate Silver said this week, because he's the guy who cracks the numbers, we think, better than anybody. Now, we know the Republicans have an advantage in the electoral college, despite what Trump says. This is really frightening to me. Uh, Nate Silver says if Joe Biden wins the popular vote by less than 1%. Wins! Wins the election. That's winning the election. You only have to win by one vote. But if he wins by less than 1% of the popular vote, he only has a 6% chance of becoming president. If he wins by 1% to 2%, he's got a 22% chance of being president. If he wins by 2 to 3%, 46%. So he could win by 3%, and he still has less than half a chance of winning the election. you got to get up to 5 to 6% before he has a 98% chance of winning the election. That's a fucked-up country.
0: Our system is bizarre. <laughs> the, the Electoral College is bizarre, and there is a good argument to change it. I will say, though, that there's a lot of panic in, among Democratic supporters that this is a danger zone, if you look at the numbers, Biden's numbers have been unbelievably steady since March. He is up consistently six points he better ahead be. of Trump. better And so a lot of the panic yeah. is this worst-case scenario catastrophizing, given what happened in 2016, but the numbers don't really bear it out right now.
3: If you subtracted Trump and Biden's name from the top-line horse race polls and even under the hood, we would all be saying there's no way Donald Trump can win. He's losing independence by 20 points he's losing women which make up half the country by over 20 points like the chances of these fundamental shifting in the next two months would take something overwhelmingly dramatic and the whole what about 2016 thing it's just not 2016 (laughs) people have had four years of donald trump a verdict has more or less been rendered since he took office given his approval ratings and joe biden is just not hillary clinton
2: He's not. I know, but what we're, but what Nate Silver is saying, it doesn't matter, because if he doesn't, I mean, five to six percent is a lot but it in is. this country. That's a big, big, big victory, and if he doesn't get that, and races tighten at the end. You sound like the panels I used to have on right before the ele- last election when I was like, are you, "You guys are you guys are whistling past the graveyard." But it's
0: very hard to see the case that Trump is going to make between now and then that is going to swing all the undecideds into his corner. If you take, for example, this argument well, about okay. law, yeah, go ahead.
2: No, you go ahead.
0: He's going to this argument he has around law and order, right? Democrats are okay. most afraid that that's his winning hand. Um, that actually is not a net plus for him. No, it's not. If if you look so at far. Well, if you look at... Right
2: now. You think it's going to shift? It could. I mean...
0: Anything could happen. I mean, these are crazy times.
2: Well, (laughs) yes, but people generally don't like violence in the streets. I mean, yes, you're right. When he says, uh, I'm the one who's going to protect you, they're not getting that. They're not buying that. What they're saying is, Joe Biden is a healer and we need healing now. This is... But this this could change. Um, But there's also a lot of craziness out there. You know, there's a book out there now called In Defense of Looting, which is being taken seriously. There's a lot of articles in the press. There's a there's a fringe. And you have to understand, you know, we live in these binary times. So anything anybody on the right does, Trump has to own. And anything anybody does on the left... Be, we're, we're, this is the country of, you're the party of. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the candidate of. Whatever the crazy on the left does, and I think looting is crazy and defending it as some sort of justifiable protest is crazy. But Biden has to wear that on his back into the election.
3: But he's th- done a, he's, I think he's done a pretty good job of not putting on his back. For example, when the protests after George Floyd first started, uh, it was popular on Twitter and in certain corners of the left to actually defend looting, to support defund the police, both of which are actually strongly minority opinions. But there's a lot of pressure from the left on the Democratic nominee. Biden immediately came out Give the guy credit. He trusts his judgment and has a North Star. He was just like, I don't want to defund the police. He's done a pretty good job of shrugging that stuff off.
0: And the chaos problem actually doesn't... It it hurts Donald Trump. If you look at this law and order message and his claims on this, it actually consolidates support for him among non-college Republicans, his base, because it's a message about white grievance. But if you hear what it's doing with non-college Republicans, it's driving away swing voters, because the swing voters who are, who are college-educated Republicans think Donald Trump is fostering the chaos. They see him as both the arsonist and the firefighter, and they're right. not buying it.
3: And there's also... I think the media has also... After the Republican convention, I think the media, for a week or two around Kenosha, ran with the idea that this was going to help Trump when there was actually no polling data to bear that out at all, even ABC News had a poll last week. Thirteen percent of uh, non-college whites, like that is the purest distillation of Trump's base, thought Trump would do, thinks he's helping the protests. Like he's that like Republicans well, well, what, what don't about think
2: the, Trump's the, the, the job on this. The property distru- destruction issue. Because there's a there's a lot of talk now. I, I saw it in the news today, Lulu Lemon <laughs> had a workshop where they said resist capitalism. Why they sell $150 leggings. Wow. Uh, when, when Lulu Lemon is saying, "Was this capitalism?" and there's a d- book called "In Defense of Lululemon... and you know, and then we had a primary where there was a candidate, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. We're talking a lot about uh, you know a wealth tax and a lot of wealth confiscation. And there's just a, there's just a feeling out there now. Again, it's on the far left, but things tend to migrate. But that property, you know, it's different than life. And it is different than life. You know, and, you, and they kind of, like, compare them like, the, like they're comparable. It's like, well, you know, if you take somebody's life, that's permanent. But if you, if you, if you wreck their business, that can be replaced. And this is a, a sort of a justifiable way of protesting. And it's a, a form of reparations. And, we're, you know, taking... I'm not down with this properties on the table as something we can just take because things are not right. That's To me, that's not the way to redress our problems, by throwing a brick through the window. Well,
0: where is this mass destruction of property happening right now? Like, if you look at... If you
2: watch the news? If
0: you look at Portland, it's two square blocks. The cameras well, go to where Well, there's also Kenosha,
2: there's also... Briefly, there's,
0: yeah, for a well, moment. It, it happens... Well, we've it had passed
2: it. Passed. We had it here in L.A. I mean, I, there are stories I've been to that I saw on the news wiped out.
0: And those were moments of protest, okay. which we have throughout our history, and we don't know everybody who is involved in the protest. You know, the people who are activating for racial justice and right. change are not necessarily the people who are breaking windows
2: and causing violence. No, fight. no, but there is a... There is a... Most of them are not. Right. But there is a, there is a view, and it's in the media. Please, I know you've seen it. <laughs> don't look at me like I'm making this up. <laughs> that somehow this is a justifiable approach...
0: Well, is it part of protest? I mean, how, isn't that what? So the... So you're part of this. Is, you
2: believe it. <laughs> I'm I, asking.
0: I believe that.
2: Because I think if you're a, if a regular guy, there was I saw this guy who had a Papa John's franchise, and he was yelling through his broken glass. You're going to elect Trump, and I'm just trying to feed my family. I don't think his view was just like "say la vie." It's uh, yeah, just I, property.
3: I do think you're right that there has been a drift of the sort of this goes back to like 2014 when there were protests at right after BLM and their protests at the University of Missouri, like, that sort of campus thinking has drifted into the national press, it has drifted into Democratic politics, where you have these very academic debates about, um, you know, Trump sort of ridicules them as critical race theory. That stuff percolates on the Internet, absolutely. And certain Democratic candidates in the primary ran with it. But, again, not to fluff Joe Biden again, but the guy has his has his North Star is that regular guy in Scranton or Rochester or wherever. He understands, I think, that, um, you know, America's political values are not derived from the Internet. They are... He he just doesn't live in that world. But
2: why are so many columnists then saying he needs to have a sister-soldier moment? You know, sister-soldier was the one and I, I, Poor Sister Soldier. I don't think she deserved, you know, getting the reputation that that I was I think it's for whole... the
3: same reasons that, that journalists ran with the idea that Kenosha would help Trump. It's just because we in the press always think there needs to be something new, some event that changes things, what's next this week, what's happening the week after that. And to what Jessica and I have just been saying, I think the race has been fairly steady this whole time, and, like, that's kind of a boring
0: okay. story.
2: <laughs> OK, yeah.
0: The protest should be made more complex, because there is a piece of the protest that are the people who are actually asking for policy changes. And that piece of this discussion gets ignored. We don't talk enough about that we end up having the conversation about looting and about windows being broken, just like the media puts the camera on that. But there is another piece of this conversation to be had. Yeah,
2: well that conversation is being had. Not
0: broadly. Really? I don't see... Do, do you under, Do people understand what defund the police means broadly? People are well, so confused about what that means.
2: OK, but, peop, but I can, you know, the people who you're talking about very often are data-free. I mean, I saw them screaming last week at Rand Paul, not my favorite politician, but saying, say her name. And Rand Paul had written a bill with Breonna Taylor's name in it. Rand Paul, he's the one guy you shouldn't be screaming about this for because he's Mr. Libertarian. He was always for things like, let's not have these no-knock police... And, and there was called the Justice for Breonna Taylor bill right. that he introduced, and they're screaming at him, say her name, there another there's learn another... something before you do that. There
3: was another video in Washington... That's a big
2: hand for learning something. <laughs> yeah, learning Whoops. something. How about for learning something?
3: Another video uh, that went viral last week in Washington, D.C., a woman was just sitting outside at a restaurant, uh, and a, a, a herd of white protesters yes. came over and told her to raise her fist. turned out... She had marched and given money to a variety of BLM causes. A Democrat that I know, who used to work for Obama, works in.
2: Uh, and she tech... just wanted to finish her dinner. Correct. Which and is by the said. way, if you're even if she hadn't done that, you're allowed to eat dinner. I, I... I don't have to do it 24/7 because you do. But this okay? is. The Dem- I can but... eat dinner oh, okay. and still be down right. with the cause. <laughs> exactly.
3: Yes. And but she I'm she made that. the point in a follow-up op-ed in the Washington Post saying. This is not how persuasion works in politics. It was pretty smart. But a Democrat who works in Democratic tech circles texted me last week um, about a video in Pittsburgh going viral showing something similar, and he was pulling his hair out because these things get so much attention on the Internet, and he says he was suggesting that this is the perfect chum for... Russian trolls and yeah. Chinese people, or Chinese trolls on the internet. Like they're not making I, fake news anymore. I disagree. They're, really?
0: I, I think this is what the Twitterati obsesses over. I but the Twitterati so I, is
3: the media. But I spent Idiot. all day. Thank you.
2: I yes. talk to Shouldn't swing be, women. but it is.
0: I talk to swing women voters all day you long. Lie? I talk to swing women voters all day long.
2: Right. You on do? Instagram, all day I do. Long? That's wow. what I do. <laughs>
0: and they do not bring this up. This does not register on their transom. What they care about is... When what about kids... the
2: Lululemon thing? I bet Maybe that... the
0: Lululemon <laughs> if
3: it would close us But I think we're saying the same thing. I think the media and the Twitter like elites and people in the Acela corridor talk about these things, and the folks you're talking to uh, to don't. I think we they both don't... agree
2: on that.
0: Oh, OK. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, That's...
2: Let, me, let me interrupt here because... Uh, no break, Breaking news. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Krug is in the news. Yeah, I didn't know who the fuck that was either. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Krug is a respected black activist, author, and history professor at George Washington University who turns out is a white Jewish girl. She admitted this week in a bombshell essay that she uh, has not been black, after all, all along. She's white and Jewish. Remember Rachel Dolezal? Here we're having it again. Uh, So um, we found out that there's some things about... Jessica Krug that were really telltale signs that she was actually <laughs> white, and uh, <laughs> would you like to hear some of them? That, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you would. Um, for example, for example, she live tweets the crown. Okay, right there. I mean, she, she can tell the property brothers apart. Okay, this, this, yeah. She's been to Utah on purpose. <laughs> I'm seeing the pattern here. Her favorite rapper is William Shatner. (laughs) (laughs) Did he put out a rap record? Is that why? Okay. Uh, She celebrates her birthday for six weeks. (laughs) I've known white girls who do that. Uh, She follows Jewel on Instagram. (laughs) Her purse is full of tiny dog. (laughs) She can tell the difference between country songs. (laughs) And she sings along with the music in the supermarket. Okay, all right. Okay, so let me ask you this question about Jessica Krug. Um, This, I'm a white person, but I get to say I'm black that Rachel Dolezal pioneered. First of all, I think there's going to be more of this. No? Why? Uh, because I think it's hipper. It's hip to be black. I kind of And, you know, I mean... First of all, I, I know it's like the worst thing in the world to, 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 to mark that we've made a lot of progress, which is stupid, because you can say, yes, we still have a lot of work to do, which we do. It's a vital issue, racism but we have made a lot of progress, because, like, 50 years ago, would any white person, like, want to say, oh, I'm a black person? That wouldn't happen in 1920 or 1930 or even 1960, probably. But my question is, uh, like, you can say you're a different gender. Why is that okay? but you can't just say, well, I identify as a different race? Well, I do think she is the worst...
3: Like embodiment of the performative Ooh. white liberal, uh, <laughs> Je- Jessica Cruz. Oh, Jessica Cruz. Yeah, like she is. She oh, is her like her again. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the she, one I just she, heard about yeah. two hours ago. She, she's like the the Sasha Baron Cohen caricature of the like white cisgender <laughs> yeah, yeah. male who apologizes <laughs> yeah. for his being a white cisgender male. Oh, that's yeah. But come to life, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I do think there. You you have a point that it is. Cool to perform your vir- virtue on the Internet in an era where identity politics is a, a currency, for better or worse, on the Internet. Um, and this happened five years after Rachel Dolezal. So, like, Rachel Dolezal happened, she saw it, and she was like, I'm going to double down. For, <laughs> for like, five years. Um, I, man, I really hope we don't see more of this, though. That would be...
2: And what should, what should the attitude of, of right-thinking people be about someone Boy who does... Here. What's that?
0: Oi. Mean, like, this is... Horrible, ridiculous. People make choices in life. This is a yeah. bad choice.
2: Right. But
0: this seems like a mental health problem Which to she me. Which she said more in the, than in like the piece a, she wrote about this, but, she but said... But isn't
2: it a... Isn't, it is, I agree, but isn't it partly a mental problem, health problem with a lot of white people who have, like, this ridiculous level of white loathing about themselves...
0: I mean, I don't hear stories like this Really? Often. You
2: haven't seen the video of, of people washing black people's feet? No. No. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll send <laughs> That's it. I didn't even
0: the video. I,
2: yeah. I, I do think that... I mean, there's a lot of that now. Not yeah. a lot, but there is, like, you know, we're holier than you and wash my feet.
3: I, not to pivot back to... I keep pivoting back to the presidential race, but throughout the Democratic primaries, white college-educated liberals, like, voted for, you know... Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. But, like, black folks voted for Joe Biden. Um, Black folks in poll after poll oppose defunding the police. They sort of oppose a lot of these au courant uh, political issues that surface on Twitter and favour moderate Democratic candidates. I mean, I just... I do think that a lot of these opinions seem like they're mainstream because they're on the
2: Internet, when in reality, they're not. No. No. I don't think they're mainstream. I, I mean, I don't think they're... A lot of this stuff, you know, I, I think there's a black silent majority.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That there isn't... has
3: been throughout throughout right. this year. That
2: is, that, the two we, that,
3: kinds of... This is so boring all the to people the media. You... Right. The two kinds of swing voters, the most important voters through this whole election have been over 40 black people and over 40 suburban white people who wear khaki pants. Like, right. those are not sexy people to right. a lot of people in the press. They're not young right. Bernie types. They're no. not... You I mean, know, entertaining, but they are the ones turning out most, in election after election. Most
2: black people want more policing, or at least the amount of policing Correct. they have. Correct. I mean, they the the, the Democrats thought, oh, good. You know, the, the radicals were like, oh, we have a we have a primary with all these radical candidates, and the black folks were like, no, let's let's go with Joe Biden.
0: Let's be practical. You
2: know, or the governor of Virginia. Remember that? Yeah. Everybody thought, like, let's get rid of the governor of Virginia, and the black folks were like, no, you know what? He made a mistake. We get it. He's a good guy. He's going to help us. And he did. He won re-election. He got all the progressive things that everybody wanted passed.
0: And they're extraordinarily motivated to get rid of Donald Trump. And that's why this race has been so steady for months. Unlike the Hillary-Trump back and forth, remember at this time then, everyone was talking about how we have two candidates no one likes, we can't stand our choices. You don't hear that conversation this time. Like, the Democrats aren't complaining, they are focused. And it's because... The majority of the party, especially the black community, is single-minded about doing what they can to get rid of Donald Trump. And all of this conversation is the equivalent of focusing on looting. Like, it's the sideshow where the momentum is about focusing on November 3rd and getting rid of Trump.
2: And there's um, any... maybe may be a sideshow unless it's your business that got, that, that got wiped out, you know? I mean, if it's your business, then it's not a sideshow. Focus uh, yeah.
3: groups have borne this out. Academic research has borne this out. Black voters are skeptical of big promises. They're skeptical of ideologues. They're skeptical of, you know, radical change. They have been fucked over for so long that they just want... They want to trust somebody who can just make government work from that yes, for Yes, make government work. Sense. Right. right. Not right.
2: brick throwers, Barack Obama. And I'm not saying that. That's what, people that's who what, are government nerds who know how to actually make change? They're the people who improve people's lives. Not even
3: change, just incremental change. Right. Make government make sense yes. to me and my family every day. Not
2: and, and by the way, all the, the all country. the people who were chanting at that lady at the, they were all white. Yeah. All the people who were surrounded. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to run out of time. Nine eleven anniversary. We have a minute. Any thoughts? It's been nineteen years. Um, where are we with I that? saw
3: a picture today of, of Joe Biden going up to Mike Pence mm-hmm. and today and doing the little elbow bump thing. Yes. And off to the side, you saw, like, Jerry Nadler and Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand, all these New York luminaries. Again, a picture doesn't tell the whole story, but they were kind of looking this way. And to me, that sort of embodied a little bit of Joe Biden and, like, his... Whether yes. it's realistic or not, but, like, he's OK... Right, trying to like talk to somebody from the you other. You
2: have team. to, yeah. even if the Democrats win the election, half the country and all the Republicans are not going to self-deport. <laughs> right. We have to work aisle. together. All right, let's bring out Ewan. He is the Golden Globe. Bring him out. Well, on Zoom, the Golden Globe-winning actor, whose latest motorcycle docu-series, Long Way Up, premieres September 18th on Apple TV Plus. Ewan McGregor is with us. How are you, sir? And how are you? Okay, Ewan, I must tell you, I've been watching you uh, in the movies and enjoying you greatly for so many years, and I realized this week as I was doing all the research, I know nothing about you. (laughs) We we never met, and yet I feel like I hardly know you. Um, I I, I learned so much. I had no idea you were such an adventurer. You're like the European Sean Penn. (laughs) I mean, mean, the list of countries where you have gone and done heroic work, uh, Congo and Iraq and Honduras for HIV and landmines and child poverty and malnutrition, Uh, these are what our president calls the shithole countries. Um, You must have a high... Do you have a high threshold for danger?
4: Not really. I've got a big appetite for adventure, I think, is the difference, you know? I I love going out into the world and finding myself in places that you wouldn't normally travel. And I've done that um, with my mate Charlie on our motorcycle since 2004. And in 2004, we rode from um, London to New York. So we went east across Europe and then uh, into Ukraine and Russia, Kazakhstan, Russia, Mongolia, Far Eastern Russia. And then we flew to Alaska and we rode all the way around to New York. And then in 2007, we rode down through the African continent. So we left the top of Scotland. And we, we rode to Cape Town. And, and um, we just did them for fun. You know, we did them for, out of a sense of adventure. Charlie and I have done... We met 25 years ago. We've been best mates. and We've always loved motorcycles. And um, we just wanted to go for an adventure. We decided to shoot them as these documentaries called Long Way. So Long Way Round, Long Way Down, and Long Way Up.
2: And this one, you go from the tip of South America and yeah. you come up back here to L.A., and I understand yeah. that these bikes you're on this time was electric. Now, yeah. don't you need a charging station? Are there charging stations when you're going through rural South America?
4: No, there there, there aren't any. <laughs> but there, there, are, there are places where electricity exists, you know? And occasionally we would have to... <laughs> you know, we, we would plug in at people's houses or we plug in in a hostel or a hotel or a bar or a restaurant or wherever we were we just asked people if they minded if we plugged in the bikes in and across the board everyone was happy to do it and um and then occasionally we would have we would we would get stuck and then we would have to find somewhere that had a generator and that's how a lot of people make their their, um electricity down there anyway but it was pretty it was pretty daunting um through Patagonia and the Atacama Desert and things like that where, where, where you have to climb to very high altitudes and um we had to learn a lot. We didn't have time. Harley Davidson made uh, this electric bike called the LiveWire, which is a beautiful motorcycle. But it wasn't it wasn't for sale yet when we did the trip. We left last September and we arrived just before Christmas. And um we asked them to make a version of their live wire bike that was more of an adventure bike. And uh it was it was just an amazing it was an amazing experience to do it electric. It was different it was a different a different experience from doing the other two trips for sure.
2: Wow. I, I mean I have a Tesla, which is electric, where right. it's got a 300-mile range, I won't go to Pacoima. Uh, but that's just, you know, I'm not.
4: But gone somewhere beyond its range, like, have you gone somewhere and had to charge on the way somewhere, or no?
2: For my car, yeah. Oh, I have a driver. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I charge it in my garage, and I never you know, yeah. I don't go anywhere. <laughs> I, I mean, we're locked down. You know, where the fuck am I going to go? But, uh, but so you're in these uh, out of the way places, shall we say? Uh, is part of the uh, attraction there because no one knows who you are, or did they? Were there indigenous peoples in the Andes who knew who you were? Uh,
4: no. No, well, there was people in the cities who knew who I was, and then generally speaking, when we're out in the cuds in the middle of the countryside, no. But it's not a reason to do it. I I mean, I I don't. uh, People ask, is it sort of a reason? Is that the reason why you do it? And it's not. You know, I don't have a life that I feel like I have to escape from at all. So um, it's just the adventure of it, really. But it is nice, isn't it? Nice to travel like that anonymously. Yeah, for sure.
2: So uh, I know about you. I've known forever. I can hear it in your voice. You're Scottish. Uh, Where are you on Scottish independence? Because I I don't know if people even know the history. I don't know. I I think people have a a feeling. I don't know if you know, if they even know that the United Kingdom is really an empire. There's England at the center of it. But, But my people, the Irish, and your people, the Scottish people, are conquered peoples. We're Celtic people. We're not Anglo Saxons, which are really Germans. Um, right. We're Celtic people. I mean, the, the people in Ireland didn't even t- speak English when the when the English conquered them. So, but the but the Scottish have voted against their own independence in the past. Where are you on that?
4: Well, I never. I never. I I was always. Uh, I was always uh, for keeping the union. I I, it's, I I think it worked. It works. And then after the Brexit vote, I think it for sure. I've Change my tune about it i think i think scotland have been voting for a government that they haven't been given for years we've very um left voting country scotland and we've been under conservative rule you know all through my childhood and and so i think probably enough's enough and i think after the brexit vote when you know the i was shooting in scotland we were shooting the the follow-on film to train spotting the night of the brexit vote and um I couldn't the next day they showed this sort of people that voted for to stay in Europe were on the map in yellow and the, the people that voted to leave were in blue and the map the map was split in half Scotland was yellow and England was blue apart from a little bit around London and I just thought that's it you know we we, we, we again we're not you know we're the Scottish people want to stay in Europe in the European Union and uh, the English don't so I just think we're living in different we're going in different directions so I think probably it's time. I, I just think probably it's time. I think once Boris became Prime Minister, Scotland was like, right, that's it. We're fucking out of here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's great to meet you. I, I know. Uh, I, I took my mother to see the movie Down With Love. Remember that one you oh, were in? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. One Did of you my, like it?
2: I fucking loved it. I don't oh, know no. if people at the time remembered Rock Hudson and Doris Day. But it's one of my favorites, and you've entertained me a lot. And I thank you for coming on. Thank you. Ewan McGregor. All right. All right, time for New Rules, everybody. With an audience, we have New Rules. New Rule, the only thing gender reveal parties reveal is that the baby's parents are morons. And if you start a massive wildfire with your gender reveal party, you have to go live someplace that's not hot and dry. Have all the babies you want in Saskatoon, but quit burning down California. Because I don't know if you've heard, but babies aren't born here with a gender anyway. (laughs) (laughs) rule: now that Canada's top doctor is advising people hooking up for the first time to avoid kissing and face-to-face contact and to wear a mask during sex, uh, Pornhub has to introduce the new category Stepmom Doesn't Know She's Fucking (laughs) Stepson. I've heard, how was it for you after sex? I've never heard, sorry, I thought you were someone else. (laughs) New all the veterinarians at a Polish zoo who say they've been conducting a study of the stress-relieving effects of marijuana on elephants have to admit what really happened. You were high. (laughs) And someone said, let's get the elephant stoned. And you did. And, and by the way, weed just makes elephants paranoid. They spend the whole night thinking, did I leave my trunk open? (laughs) (laughs) New Rule, before the NFL season starts for real, Dr. Fauci has to tell us if it's safe for bros to chest bump each other after a touchdown while screaming, that's what I'm fucking talking about! (laughs) Maybe that was just me. New Rule, if it's okay to have coffee mugs that say things like, caution, I haven't had my coffee yet, then addicts of other drugs can have the same. Like a cocaine vial that says, I'll start working when my cocaine does. (laughs) Or a syringe that says, ask me after my heroin. (laughs) Okay, and finally, new rules. Someone must tell all the parents who now say that the recent homeschooling has left them with a new appreciation for teachers. It's about time. This week, parents across America face the harsh reality that after a spring with the kids home all the time and a summer with the kids home all the time, we may have a fall and winter with the kids home all the time. Which is not only nerve-wracking, it's destroying mom's relationship with the gardener. (laughs) Yeah, summer is ending. But for parents, summer was never the vacation... When the kids go back to school, that's the vacation. (laughs) Why do you think summer camp was invented? It wasn't to teach you survival skills. It was to get you out of the house. They're calling online classrooms distance learning. Distance for who? The kids are right there at the kitchen table all damn day. Distance is what schools were for. (laughs) To... (laughs) to provide a a five-day-a-week break from having to deal with those little shits on your Christmas card. No wonder 69% of parents now say that being a teacher is a harder job than their own. And 80% say they have a newfound respect for teachers. Great. Okay, but how about we go beyond giving teachers newfound respect? How about we also give them the benefit of the doubt? Ask any teacher what their number one complaint is, and it's helicopter parents sticking their noses in. Doing their kids' work for them, trying to adjust grades and undermining discipline. You have two kids, and you want to strangle them. Can you imagine having to deal with an entire classroom full of tiny, sticky strangers? (laughs) It used to be the teacher would send home a report card about the behavior of the child. Now it's the behavior of the teacher that gets judged. I've heard it from teachers many times. Parents saying things like, but my daughter studied really hard for this test. Yeah, but she got all the answers wrong. That's what matters in life results, not just trying, not just participating. When everybody gets a trophy, the only people who win are the people who make trophies. <clears throat> if children don't learn that life can be full of disappointments, they won't be ready for marriage or Democrat primaries. <laughs> If your kid gets a D, don't blame the teacher. Tell your child, you should have worked harder. You should have buckled down more. Now go to your room and do whatever it is you do there on your webcam. (laughs) And the next time that there is a classroom disagreement where a teacher says one thing and your kid says another, side with the teacher... I mark the onset of American decline to the moment parents started siding with their children instead of with the teachers. <laughs> Seriously. Kids may be cute, but they're also relentlessly manipulative little weasels <laughs> who can only be contained with a united front. Mom, dad, and the teacher used to form an iron triangle... A tight threesome like Jerry Falwell, his wife, and the pool boy. (laughs) Kids couldn't get away with shit. And they were so much healthier for it. Helicopter parenting or bulldozer parenting, whatever you want to call it, it isn't good for anybody. Not the teachers, not the parents, not the kids. And the idea that kids have too little self-esteem, it's antiquated antiquated. They have too much now. And it's turning them into angry, screaming grievance collectors. And all of that childhood tolerance is resulting in grown-up tyrants. It's no wonder by the time they get to college, just having to listen to an opinion they don't agree with is considered an act of violence. (laughs) Oh yeah, it doesn't even end when the kids leave the house. Parents go on job interviews with their kids now. A study a few years ago found that 30% of employers had gotten resumes written by the applicant's parents. 15% reported fielding complaints from a parent when they didn't hire the kid. And yet somehow our economy is falling behind China's. Weird, huh? (laughs) So, if in the future a teacher takes your kid's phone, just tell that teacher, thank you. Thank you for doing something I lacked the balls to do years ago. All right, that's our show back here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank Jessica Yellen, Peter Henby, Ewan McGregor, and Peter Strzok. We'll be back next week from the studio, I hope. Thank you very much.
0: Catch all new episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher every Friday night at 10, or watch him anytime on HBO On Demand. For more information, log on to HBO.com.